0: back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast. Just a few days prior to the release of this podcast, Brighton and Hove Albion rocked up to Stamford Bridge in West London and took away all three points in a 2-1 win. As the bookies' favourites too. It was the first time, potentially ever, but certainly for an obscenely long time, that Brighton were the favourites going into a game versus Chelsea, according to the bookmakers. But going to the bridge as favourites seems unheard of. While Potter earned plaudits at the Amex for a style of play, the Italian has taken Brighton to a whole new level and is potentially starting a league-wide or even continental trend in terms of how his teams approach the game, particularly when building up from the back. Pep Guardiola labelled the Zerbi side as the best team in the world at playing out from the back, and that's quite a compliment from the Catalan coach. However, there is another who is transforming football right now, using a style of play which is a throwback to a simpler time, a time where culture and connections trump tactics, a time when Brazil reigned on the world stage. Fernando Diniz is a man who we have spoken about countless times before in this podcast, including doing an entire podcast dedicated to the anti-positional play methodology that Diniz is enforcing in Brazil with Fluminense. It's fair to say that his style is quite the antithesis of modern football. In fact, it's probably fair to say that the Zerbi and Diniz are potentially the most extreme of their own kind of styles, one of positional play and one of relationism. And so we thought we'd have a discussion about the differences with these styles, the positives, the negatives, the similarities and the differences, and much, much more. To do so, I'll be joined by none other than the Deanies lover himself and relationism purist, Caio Moguel. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. Before we begin, though, please make sure to rate the podcast five stars, hopefully. It's genuinely appreciated so, so much. We've been growing exponentially at the moment, and we are incredibly grateful for your continued support. So let's try keep that going as we bring you our very best audio content. So now, without further ado, let's go speak to Kyle. Kyle, welcome back to the TFA podcast. How have you been? Good, Adam. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. It's been a busy week because it's, for those that don't know, magazine week at TFA, which is when all the pitches go in, you have to approve the pitches, and then I've, said, of course, write two of my own, and everyone else writes their pieces, and then they submit them, and everything has to be done, and all the, all the, you know, is the to, to cross the T's, dot the I's, and then the magazine is produced. It's proof proofread, Fintan proofreads each submission piece, and then I proofread the entire magazine. So it's extremely stressful. But speaking of the magazine, you are writing a piece this month about Rodrigo. Do you want to explain what that is? Because it's actually a really interesting topic.
1: Yeah. Um, so obviously Rodrigo, I think everyone's quite familiar with him. He's got toys Yeah. Not, not surprised. Um, but I think everyone's quite familiar with him. But stepping away from the typical scout report, mm-hmm. where we just look at sort of, his position, strengths, weaknesses, style—I I, I kind of want to, sh- to shy away from that and um look at him as a symbol for relationism, in the, the sense that I think the way Ancelotti put it is he's a player that attacks, not a player of a position. Um, and I think yesterday, if he if you watched the Chelsea Real Madrid clear or Real Madrid game, it was as clear as ever that he doesn't have a position and I think that's he is those that type of player where um he thrives without a position and I think you had a moments of him going all the way to the left where he was the right winger but he was on the left wing combining with vinicius and so just kind of looking at relationism through an individual scope um I think there's it's not something that's we've obviously all looked at relationism and team and collective structures and everything, but now I just want to kind of look at the individual scope and start exploring that field. Well, yeah. Speaking
0: of relationism, this podcast, I came to you with the idea is kind of centered around the, almost the scale. And I use that very broadly because we haven't fully, you know, yeah. discussed the details of what the scale entails, but in our scale, it's almost like the, the, the styles of possession, attacking possession football, I suppose, where it's, it's relationism versus positionism and positionism. Obviously we, we, we believed was Roberto de Zerbi's side, whether it be Sassuolo or Shakhtar or now with Brighton and Hove albion they're very, it's very positionist. There's players in set positions, in set structures Whereas relationism is, and I'll let you explain relationism here because you're more, you're a better place to talk about relationism. You know, it, quite free flowing, I'd imagine. Will you go into detail just briefly to, to let the listeners know what relation is, relationism is? Because yeah. we spoke about it before in the past, but just if, if you aren't clued up onto what relationism is, Kyle will uh, briefly explain here for you.
1: Yeah, I think relationism, we've become really accustomed to viewing tactics and analysis in general through a positional. Uh, lens and relationism is is a, a term coined by Jamie Hamilton but it essentially addresses the teams like Fluminense, Benfica Napoli that don't have linear um imposed structures um I think that's the best way to put it it's, it's not position based it's not like imposed structures where the coach has an excessive amount of influence on the players organization mm-hmm. Uh, on the contrary, uh, relationism is more of emergent structures. Um, it's not where you can um, go into a game with predetermined um, shapes and structures. So it's, yeah. And then I think relationism is probably the best term for it because it doesn't really, obviously the what we all see is the players related on the pitch, and I think that's what we tend to think of, but it's the structure relating to the situation um whereas like it's not always the same structure it's always changing it's it's Mm. emergent it's not imposed whatsoever and i think that's where you get the free flowing bit it's just it it looks like madness from out there but um yeah yeah it does look like
0: madness is is well you know we're we're kind of positionist and positional play style i feel like space is heavily influences the kind of the positions of the players and and you know they're put into structures to create space and things like that. Whereas with, uh, you know, like Fluminense and a uh, relation side, they don't really, space isn't the, the key factor behind where they position themselves in the pitch. So you watch a, a Fluminense side and quite often, and again, Jamie Halmson is, is a wonderful analyst on Twitter and he shares quite a lot of, of stuff related to Fernando Diniz's team. And you see things like, you know, instead of teams overload when they switch to the other side and things like that, they usually kind of they they kind of keep it in the same side. It's not to do with, you know, usually when you see a team it's congested in one area, you'll kind of play the ball back, switch to the other side, have a one-on-one then on the far side. They'll, they'll keep it there where the players are. And there was one example I remember where Denise, Jamie Hamilton shared a video of mm-hmm. Denise going crazy yeah. because a player took it out of the congested area where they had a lot of bodies. But the yeah. idea isn't to kind of overload one side so it's to have those bodies and to use the connections almost to, to break down teams. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think, yes, it's totally fair. And, and space is, is I, I wrote on the last magazine, that's what I wrote about. And space is, it's fun. To, it's not that it's less important. It's mm-hmm. viewed in a different manner and it's fair to say it's not regarded, regarded with the same level of significance in the, in the structure. Um, it's almost as if Denise wants the players Denise or split you
0: wherever you want to be wants the players to be able to, to, to relate. It's it's yeah I understand but it's it's incredibly like it's incredibly influenced by intuition. you know like yeah. when you, you intuition is so so important and, and whereas I I'm gonna be careful what I say because I don't want to say the word robotic but with a more positional play style it's heavily influenced by the sideline by the coach players are in set positions, they're in set zones. You see Guardiola's pitch division, which stresses me because I, ca- I can't imagine... I can't personally... I mean, it's just my own personal thing. I can't imagine analysing a game even as a on a laptop as true the scope of that kind of pitch division. Um, but I think it, whereas relationism is very heavily influenced by intuition and, and kind of the, yeah, rela- the relations yeah. between the players. The,
1: the, between the players and the players' ability to re- relate to space however they see, if, they see fit. Because yeah. obviously Rodrigo, he, is, he relates his space in a completely different manner me- to some other people. Mm-hmm. He is extremely comfortable in those tight areas. And yesterday against Chelsea, Chelsea Real Madrid, you, you see them combine in extremely tight areas and everything. So I think it's just more allowing the players to... It's not even necessarily about forcing them into playing in this cluster field. It's about letting the players make decisions based on their style. And it's more about that. It's it's It deals with emotional... Mm-hmm. um emotional physical technical it's all of those into one it's not as the player is a it's a chess piece on this area yeah he needs to be in this in comparison with the other players it's just kind of emergent and how the player sees it obviously it's not that is not to say positional positional systems are robotic and the players don't think for themselves there's a lot of room for interpretation but it's
0: predetermined
1: it's a lot of times it's mm-hmm. it's 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 imposed the structures of where the player are. It's kind of predetermined. There's a heavier influence from the side, whereas relation as the players have more um, sort of influence on the structure. Yeah. that's That can be momentarily. I, I, some players, depend on the instance of the game, they're going to relate to it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, obviously the coach does have influence, but it's just more and more to the players.
0: Well, I saw something the other day, and I can't remember where it was, but they labelled Denise as the Brazilian Guardiola. Now, I took massive issue with that because, yeah, and I know you chuckled there because I knew your reaction would be. Um, I can't think of, I mean, just because you have the ball doesn't mean you play it the same way. And I think with Guardiola, it is quite predetermined. A lot yeah. of the the influence comes from the sideline. And while Guardiola can say in interviews that the players are what, you know, it's he puts them in positions for them to, to or yeah. to get the best of them, that may be true. Yeah. but it's still heavily influenced by Guardiola. I mean, you look at now with the new 3-2 structure, he almost plays with four central defenders essentially, but he has mm-hmm. John Stones maybe at right back or, 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 or Nathan Ake left back one tucks inside. John Stones will move him beside Rodri to create that 3-2, 3-2 structure. That's not, that's not a, a, that's not intuitive of the player. You know, you know, no. that's coming straight from the sideline and, and, even more extreme than that. I feel personally that the Zerbi style would be more extreme than that. But yeah. where they kind of not meet in the middle, but share some sort of similarity would be in the buildup phase. And and Kyle, you're going to explain why, but I said to you before the podcast started, I believe maybe the buildup would be the best place to find structure in Denise's football or in a relationist style, Extreme the extremes of that style, because... It's where you have you would have the most predetermined positions from a goal kick per se. So when a keeper takes the goal kick, you know there's going to be some sort of structure there that you know the central defenders will pull wide, and the fullbacks will maybe come low. So there's some sort of structure where up the field you might lose that a little bit. Can you talk to us about the the different or the similarity? Sorry, between those yeah. kind of styles and and start with Flamengo Force in the in the yeah. build-up phase.
1: Yeah, I think. First, how, however may incorrect the, the analogy to, to Guardiola may be, um, both share in the Zerbi, they share the willingness to take the responsibility of the game, um, want to determine the outcome. Uh the Zerbi has a webinar where he mentions that kicking the ball along, it's almost a gamble, it's illogical and it's inconsistent. Um, and obviously when you're trying to determine the outcome of the game, putting the putting yourself in those scenarios or just Irrational. And then mm-hmm. that's where that's where the build-up comes in. And so it's constructed out of the back. And that's where they meet in the middle. That wanting to build a game from the back, have a controlled style of possession. Um, that's where they meet in the middle, but then the structure is where they go in completely separate ways. Um, the build-up, like you said, it provides the most organized scenario because yeah. you start from a set play and not it's just a set piece, but a set play where you're in possession. Um, if you pause the screenshot right before or a couple of seconds before the goalkeeper takes it for Fluminense, you're gonna see a four, two, three, one of sorts, however maybe loose and weird that looks. It is as close to a four-two-three one as you're ever gonna get. And five seconds later, you're gonna see something completely different. Um, but that's not to say they don't have a structure. I think the way we look at structure has to to maybe I think when what we often mean is organization. I think the Zerbi has a more linear organization where it's in Guardiola where it's a 4-2 or a 3-1 whatever it may be and Denise has a structure but it's not maybe as linear as we like to think it's easier for us to identify line a line of 4 and a line of 2 but the knees has more of emergent structures and non-linear structures and just non-imposed where they just may arise however the game whatever happens and um, so that's where the key differ- difference is and um, with the knees, they obviously start from a four-two-three-one. That's the basic kind of mm-hmm. – but then you've got the winger, especially Gunso has the 10. They'll all drop in um, to, to their own third. And then on top of the 4-2, you have at two, maybe even three players coming in. I mean, I was watching America Minero the other day in Fluminense and Gun or Cano K- misplaced the pass in the build-up. Keep in mind, Kano is a centre-forward. He misplaced the pass in his own box and build-up. Why the centre-forward is not on the box and build-up? Well, that sums up the knees. Um, but, yeah, so it, it's it's kind of just not programmed at all where the players are going to go, where the ball is going to go. But the one consistent thing is that the players are told to play short and they're told to keep it mm-hmm. on the ground and to find feet and to just interact with each other. And, so, and obviously a lot of the times that will mean a lot of them will come over and they'll just play together because that is the nature of resilient football. Yeah, I think Napoli is um it is a relational side, but then you don't maybe get that to the extreme because that ties into the culture. The players never grew up playing that, whether less in the street or in the academy. They've never right. done that. So, But it is still relational because you, you see so many emergent structures that aren't predetermined, and they're just like whatever the game may throw at. You have the three midfielders in the same side with... Kravacella and, and Osiman just interacting, and it's so that's yeah, it, it's that's where the relational aspect comes in.
0: There's a couple of points I want to not pick apart there, but I that I found interesting. You said about the Zerby labeling going long, I suppose, illogical and inconsistent. I would certainly agree with the inconsistent side because ultimately, if, if you go long and it's a duel between the center forward and the center half. It, it's not directly 50 50 because they would each have their strengths one be you know just kind of average you would imagine on paper it would be 50 50 but the the illogical part I can kind of I can get if you're well I can't really get and, and the reason I, I want to ask you about it is because there were so and there are still a lot of sides like I remember Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace would set up to go short but they'd go long and and in my mind if you set up like Brighton did on Saturday when they played Chelsea at Stanford Bridge and they left four forwards up against Chelsea's four, but they managed to entice the four six low. So the four midfielders and the two forwards, then when Chelsea pressed in the four four two, they enticed them low. If you were to go long and turn over possession while it's inconsistent, you could kind of create a 4v4 there. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, It is, it is, I believe it
1: was a, well, I believe it was a fourth three because you have the concept of pinning where they always wanted to keep an extra man for cover. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, I think the aim of the Zerbi, especially with the concept of pinning and having such a high amount of players in his own third, it is at times, again, depending on the intensity of the pressure, that's a big deal. But if they, they'll put Chelsea, they're willing to, to press you like crazy and, and try to match you somewhat for numbers, even it's down one and have that intensity. The point of it is to go long mm-hmm. because whereas if they don't, if they don't have that intensity, you're just trying to laterally go through the thirds and, and gets eventually get to the half. Whereas if they're having such numbers, because when you make that vertical pass, you've left six players behind and then it's a four v four, like you said. So it's not one or the other. I think that's where you said interpretation. A lot comes mm-hmm. still comes into positionism and so you go, you make that vertical pass, you've left five, or six players behind, and then you go into it. So it's not, it's not necessarily going long. That's the problem. It's, it's, how do you do it? If it's, if there is some kind of plan behind that. And of course, in this, we're just talking about from a positional lens, but if the, yeah. And then I think with Vieira, I think if it's something where they do consistently, where they structure the, or they organize to the go short, and then they end up going long. If it's something consistent and then a, in a level where you have this kind of analysis, it's gonna get caught on, and it's gonna get teams are gonna figure out a way to maybe make you think they're gonna press you, and then be prepared for to go long. I think it's more it has to be with what the opponent gives you, and you kind of have to adapt to the opponent because if the intensity is there, you still have to make those first couple of passes to break the line, and then you go into a four three v four four, four four um four. Whereas if you just make those kind of passes and just go long regardless, they're maybe gonna catch on. um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's a that's a great answer to the question I posed. But as well, another part I wanted to to ask you about was you you mentioned there's no sort of predetermined way for them to play in terms of okay, you go short. There's well, actually, I'll ask you: is there is there you know does Denise tell them to go left, to go right, go try right, build up through this the double pivot mm-hmm. or whatever? Whereas okay. like with Brighton you would see that kind of predetermined. You know. Mm-hmm. They're gonna try go short, bait the press, and then try play to the double pivot yeah. quick tour man passing behind. Whereas with Denise's side, you I suppose you you wouldn't really see that as much.
1: No, I think Denise there is if you watch a lot of build-ups, you're gonna see over like an overwhelming amount of build-ups to the wide areas. And I think mm-hmm. that it's logical because it's it's I mean, building through the central areas and it only through the central areas is almost like suicide. And but then it's I mean that's as far as it goes. And that, I don't that's just logical. I mean, that's not even if you're gonna build out of the back, you just tend to go to the sides anyway. It's easier to protect and keep away from goal, whereas if you lose in front of the goal. On the on the other hand, the Zerbi has a lot of influence on those first few passes. I think one dude they do or one thing they do a lot is they go to one side and do this. I mean it's a joke how many times they do they do they go to one side and then they immediately play to the other. As soon as that striker jumps, they play to the other. And then obviously you have the angles from the two double pivots. It's
0: incredibly stressful to watch when I, when I yeah. see it because the, the, the press is pretty close to getting
1: yeah. the ball. But it, so they have that, that kind of thing where he instructs those first few passes. But mm-hmm. another thing he instructs is to put your foot on top of the ball and face forward because that doesn't let them know where you're going. And I think with that, you give the player a lot of responsibility to make that determination of where maybe the angle of the press is coming from and everything of that sort. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's clear that the Zerbi has a lot more influence on the fir- on the, the, the direction and the flow of the build-up, especially in the first few phases or the first few passes, whereas the knees is just more of like a logical go to the side and then can begin. But they also build to the middle, to the middle of course.
0: Well, with, you know, with a team that's more positionist like the Zerbi's Brighton, of course, or even Pep City as well, you have, you have, you hear a lot of things about, you know, a lot of, kind of keywords or jargon if you want to call it superiorities overloads things like that but they are key especially to brighten this season on the derby yeah. in the build-up phase they want to create an overload in that four towards of the pitch so you saw against uh chelsea on saturday and i'm using Chelsea's example because it was the most recent example in my mind that i can remember yeah. chelsea pressed with that front six so they had the four midfielders and they had the two forwards and be kind of as a the 4-4-2 really in a press, although the, the, the distance between the midfield and the back line was colossal. Um yeah. but they they wanted to create an extra man at the back. So they used the goalkeeper, but they had sometimes How- it would be a three, it was usually a four. I remember, it was it was they they would have a one v one at the top of the pitch at the halfway line. So they would pin back Chelsea's entire back four with an individual player. So it'd be four v four and they'd have a seven v six then in the fourth third. Mm-hmm. Because they would use the, the fullbacks, two central offenders, and the goalkeeper, and then your double pivot thats seven v6. So they would always have a free man. Yeah. With before we get into the kind of specifics about how they do that and reach the halfway line then and kind of to you know they create the distance mm-hmm. between the midfield and the back line. With Dinus's football, is does it really matter how how does you know, does it come down to the players' interpretation of whether they should drop or not? How does the kind of you know, like I think, what, you know, I think you know what I'm alluding to there.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the whole thing of dropping down or, or whatever. In Brazil it's called apoyo. I mean support. And um there's a word um which is quite relevant, Aproximação, which means approximation really. Mm-hmm. But it's,
0: it's you used approximation a lot in your pieces, I know. Yeah. When you were writing approximation will come up quite a yeah.
1: lot. It's almost as if and one thing you notice with Flamengo and Vitor is was that they didn't have that. It's mm-hmm. it's almost you're telling the player, your teammate, you're telling him, "I'm not going to help you." Whereas the way we see it is, I'm gonna go in there and play with them. Basically, I'm gonna I'm just gonna u- help them, provide that support and interact with them. And that support doesn't have to be like a mechanism or like a predetermined. If I go, this guy I can't go, or whatever. It's more of they're instructed to drop, but not 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 in that the, the way we may think of it's, Literally going to support his his teammate and helping him play out because, like we said, it's a it's a short, short um, style of passing, mm-hmm. and obviously you need approximation um, to do that. And yeah, I think it's not necessarily an instruction drop. It's more the way we see it is is a, it's a play
0: to support. It's it's to play with. with and them. what what about the thought process of kind of having bodies forward as well? Because I know in more positioning systems. That's very important, the coach. So with yeah. the Zerbi, yeah. they would it would you know when they break that force line. The objective is to get to the forward line. But okay, if you have a seven v six, and you have four up front, then so the seven v six includes the goalkeeper, and then you have a front four up top ready to kind of receive that pass or drop short. Then between in that massive space between the midfield and the back line. But if you were to create a nine v six you would only have two up front and against Chelsea's four. I mean, you're very limited chance of actually getting that ball with approximation. Would it take into account, you know, again, it's, it's sort of done on the intuition of the player from my understanding that it would be, they also wouldn't drop if it was unnecessary to, if that makes sense. So if you already had plenty of bodies there, it would kind of be illogical for them to drop.
1: Yeah. I don't think that, uh, well, it's it's more of like maintaining death and, and, Forcing the opponent. I I don't think there is much of that. And then with, after Denise breaks the first line of pressure and the first block of pressure, I guess, and they get to the middle third, especially if it's a margin, unless obviously they have players like Cano and and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Adias who are incredibly pacey players and they can drive into space. And obviously you have that whole dimension where football is just feet to feet. you. The players drive a lot with the ball. And, that's a lot. That's the most time you ever see those transition scenarios and those vertical scenarios. But they really like to just go through the players collectively, and when you do that, you don't really, you don't really. There's no, there's no, there's not much significance in maintaining that th- mm-hmm. and then keep that high line or having a player eject for for strategic pur- purposes. And I mean, you see it with Real Madrid all the time. How many with Benzema dropping in so much and Rodrigo going over and the three midfielders. You, sometimes you don't have anyone on the on the, on the back line. And that, that's not really a problem. It's I think it's a problem when you look at it through the whole positional lens. But if you're going through that area and you keep going through that area, you're just progressing as you go. And, yeah, I think obviously when you have the more vertical teams, I looked at um, Defensive Justicia. Somebody maintaining that that was crucial to how they played because that's a vertical side. That's a Bielsa style. So...
0: What I want to discuss is, and I I, I watched the defense just as well under uh, Giulio Vicari, I hope I've, Vicari okay. if I said that correctly. Um, yeah, they are a very Bielsa side, but he was Bielsa's analyst as well at was it Athletic Club,
1: Marcelo athletic, athletic, yeah,
0: yeah. So obviously he was heavily influenced by Marcelo Bielto there. Um, what I want to discuss is analysis, and I suppose the downfalls of both systems really, um. Brighton style, we discussed this before the podcast started. Analysis is really heavily influenced, heavily influences the the way they go about doing it. So, the number of so we, we spoke about having overloads, so they knew Chelsea would commit six bodies when pressing, so they knew they could have these players forward to create 1v1 scenarios, but they also knew they could have a, a one man overload with a 7v6, whereas if Chelsea pressed with seven. You would need to drop a man and have an eight v seven or or if it was a five or six etc. Why why is that a bad thing? You touched on kind of you, you touched on this before the podcast started, but I actually thought it was a really interesting point. Like it is yeah. it can be a bad thing for teams. It can be it can be a bad thing, um in the sense that we
1: often tend to create a disconnect between a Premier League Premier League football and you go down to youth systems and grassroots football yeah. and just I think what football actually is about, it's not about—it's not all about the Premier League, it's, it's about the kids playing and everything like that so when you go down to that level, you don't have the level analysis that there is in the Premier League and I mean, Re- does everybody said it himself, it, he's at uh, the webinar again, he's looking at Roma or a match when he was a Sassuolo against Roma and he mentions he knew how Roma would go about their pricing whether there was an intensity that mm-hmm. players were who'd be where what uh, orientation they would take and when you don't have when you don't have that and you try to implement the same style it is kind of difficult to to, to go about it so i think that there's just a, a it's important for
0: the players when you have that style obviously we kind of and you're right we look at premier league teams and you want to kind of put that or, or you want to implement that kind of style into your sides of people that watch a pep team I remember I mean I, I coached I was coaching grassroots level when the rule was changed in 2019 the, the, the goal yeah, yeah, like, the, it was the goal kick rule. I think it was the 2019-20 season the goal kick rule was changed and instantly everyone wanted to play inside the box because you could have your yeah. defenders inside the box whereas beforehand you could because the, just, the force pass had to yeah. be better because it had to be outside the area and it was much more difficult. But everyone wanted to try that. So straight away, yeah. it was beforehand you would just see direct yeah. balls constantly, even at grass, which would have under, under 11s and stuff, which it was... Because uh, you,
1: don't, you don't know how the, the, the opposition will press. That's that's where the analysis yeah. really comes in is because you don't know if the opposition will have a front three or a front two in that. I mean, if if you're especially grass stuff, if they have a front two... And they have they're going man to man in your center halves. What are you going to do when you're expecting a three, or mm-hmm. just that that oh, so one of the center halves will be the superior against one striker? You don't know. So I think it's 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 we have to acknowledge that disconnect and and just just really when we're translating maybe some some stuff that we look at in the Premier League teams to, to a grassroots level, you have to take that into consideration. Is that that
0: they there's a lot of analysis that goes into it that kind of helps it. And the quality level that would be like okay, so we want to talk about the Zerbi. The way they play is okay. You have the goalkeeper or the the central defender will play that pass into the double yeah. one of the pivot players, and then and then a movement starts. So the other pivot player will maybe drop a yard or two, change their body direction completely, so they can bounce the one the player that receives the ball can bounce it to his partner, and then they play that ball through through the press, through the midfield line, straight into the forward line, and instantly again, it's it's it's. It's not off the cuff. It's, it's a like a machine. They know what to do. So Dan, with Brighton, Danny Welbeck or Evan Ferguson drops straight away because they know that it's pass is coming. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's completely, I don't, I, again, I don't want to say robotic because it's, it's a poor choice of word, but it's rehearsed almost and they know yeah. exactly yeah. what to be doing. But if you try that, and I'm not scourging anyone from trying it because I think it's, it's much more important for us to encourage young players at grassroots level to use the ball. ultimately.
1: Yeah. It's not it's not necessarily about I think what the distinction here is not, I think building up is essential for development because Mm -hmm. you encourage the players to have the ball to develop their skills. It helps self-esteem, helps courage, because if they can do that in the game, they get more comfortable
0: in the game and let them make mistakes.
1: Yeah. And the the what I think we're trying to get at is the concept of structure and how Mm
0: -hmm. programmed the
1: structure is, because obviously. If you you want to replicate something, but is it going to be at the cost where the player has just become a robot and he's just doing that movement at 12, 13 years old? Because that's where the structure may be. But what if he gets a transfer to a club where that's not the case? It's it's that's something we have to take into consideration.
0: And yeah, and like as well, even the quality levels, or, or sorry, not the quality, but the, the analysis. Like if you if you are faced with if you play a certain way and you're expecting the team to press in a 4 and you're expecting there to be a massive stretch between the midfield and the back line. But then they don't press in a 4 2 They go with a back three. They leave a man just in front of the defence to deal with kind of anyone who drops into that area, and it becomes a little, a little trickier, and then your players don't really know what yeah. the move is because everything's rehearsed from the sideline. And I think the point we try to make with relationism, while it's certainly not perfect, and... Again, it's not, a, we'll talk about weaknesses and relationism in a sec. While it's not completely perfect, it gives you, it gives way for more adaptability. Does that make sense? And even when you have yeah. like Real Madrid under Ancelotti, while they're not a fully relationist side, there are relationist aspects. And that's why oh, yeah. you would imagine they can do so well in Europe because they adapt so well to situations. Yeah. Whereas with like a Pep team in the past, say the last 10 years anyway, it was heavily influenced from the sidelines. So when things wouldn't yeah. go right, it would be, it was you know everyone's looking to the sideline because Pepe needs to change it. Whereas with an Ancelotti team, like things don't go right, it's okay. We we have players that can problem solve yeah. on the pitch. It doesn't have to be the manager. And I remember last year, I can't remember what game it was, but was it the, was it the game against Man City? No, but anyway, I can't remember the game in the Champions League. Cruz and Modric were on the sideline. Telling Ancelotti certain things, they were talking yeah. to Ancelotti, speaking to him, yeah. giving him ideas. They're yeah. the problem solvers, and, and in relationism, you almost have the problem solvers on the pitch, which is yeah. what we're kind of alluding to there. It's not perfect, but in build up, you're giving the you're giving the players the ability to innovate and to be themselves and to create with their teammates, as opposed to having predetermined, you know, yeah. moves.
1: Yeah, is the a tricky one because it's it's almost it feels wrong to say that it's dangerous to that such program mechanisms to, mm-hmm. to football, um, but it's just like like we say the players when it's more, yeah, I relationism provides I think the players room to to figure out the decisions for themselves and that's not to say that doesn't happen in the other ones it does but. Mm-hmm extent to which that happens and it's not decisions of what to do with the ball it's decisions of how to cope with space um so i think relationism provides that a little bit more and obviously positional positional play doesn't provide that and and positional systems do that and you can still have a very positional system where it's a 4-3-3 and then but if your training is focused on on or opposed practices and you're just Letting the players really figure out for themselves without really programming where the ball goes and the sort of movements and the coordinated movements, I think in training it's so easy to sit there and the coach stops and it's a four-three-three and he goes Mm -hmm. back. Just let it run it and just let it. The players figure out for themselves almost. And if that turns to chaos,
0: sometimes just so be it. Yeah, (laughs) but I think as well, like it's it's we're not sitting here saying which style is better or to say that a position of style is better than a relationist because it's not and again they both have drawbacks they both have massive upsides as well though but we're just uh, simply pointing out the weaknesses of or the the kind of the risks of that position of style where you are relying so heavily on the the mind on the sidelines So, of course the players bring the quality they they execute the action but the action is predetermined they don't and, think and, of and the it
1: action goes the other way as well because mm. relationist has the risk of of the players if they don't figure it out, and and whereas like with positionism, you you kind of have the structure to fall back on and provide like a guideline, like a b- yeah. blueprint of, of. Well, that's a great. It's, it's guide a, guide a, individual one, but. That's a
0: great way to kind of to move into what I want to ask you next about positionist teams versus relationist. With a positionist side, like Brighton, you know, if Moses Casado's out, someone else will come in and fill that role. Okay, they might not have the. They might not have quality. The same as Caicedo would, but you know they they are well rehearsed in the the moves and and the how to progress the ball from that phase up to the forward line and how to how the system works. Whereas in a relationism team like with with Dean's, if you get an injury in the side, I mean the whole thing's based on connections and players having chemistry almost with each yeah. other so they can play which they know that what they're going to do the moves and it's it's beautiful yeah. to watch but if you take one else you take guns out of of Denis's team yeah. for example and you bring a player in or maybe you a new player signs for the club and he doesn't quite yeah. have that chemistry you can kind of lose that you can lose the chemistry almost that's do you yeah. do you feel so, that's the biggest downside to a relations yeah. team i think right now there's two sides of that coin um fluminense
1: i think it's important to highlight that does does um over not the Brazilian summer, or as we go into the season, they made a lot of transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, Guga, Keno, um, a lot of players came into the side and they are flying right now. And they and then now you have two right backs that understand the system and they provide different qualities. But Guga and Samuel Xavier, they they know they understand how the news works and they know what what what's expected. Mm-hmm. I think the other side of that coin is Napoli and they obviously were knocked out of the Champions League last night. And it's what's been happening in the past. I mean, in in uh, Ingrisa, I think he, he got a red card. He in the was first yeah, game. he was
0: suspended for it, and uh, and came in.
1: Yeah, Ossiman had been out for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the centre halves weren't there. Yeah, Kim um, and Jay wasn't available either. Yeah, the, yeah. one of the one of the fullbacks, at, I think, I believe it was Mario, Ma- Mario. Mario
0: Rui went off injured, yeah, and he was yeah. replaced by Matias Oliveira, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, so. When you suffer those, and I understand Napoli was a lot, which changes mm-hmm. that one, so that may be impact, impacted it a lot, but the players are so used to playing with each other, and if you look at Napoli's season, they've not changed the lineups so much, and the players are all, it's clockwork in a different sense of the, the, the yeah. positional It's clockwork as in Kravacala knows exactly how Ossiman is going to move and how he wants to interact with them. Lobotka and Kravacala know how they're going to play together, and once you start to disrupt that a bit, Again, there's a, there's a, there's also the downside to it.
0: Mm-hmm. That is, It's a really good point because I watched the Napoli game last night. This is being recorded on Wednesday. It was on the Tuesday. And they were really poor. Uh, really, really poor. And you're right, it, it looked as though the, the massive changes to personnel before the game and during the game had a massive, yeah. massive impact. It's, on it's one thing when,
1: and yeah, it's one thing when Ndombele comes on with 30 minutes to go and he's one player in a midfield that's st- in, in an attack that stays the same it's another one like yeah he, he started the game and he I don't I don't believe he was great yesterday and, mm. but you and also
0: he, lose connections like with Faras Scalia down the left if mm-hmm. Mario Rui is is yeah. taken off injured and Oliveira's brought on Scalia wouldn't be as used to playing with Oliveira as he would with Mario Rui and you would you lose that connection and even then when you're building out from the back you don't have Kim Min You have you've Romani or or, or uh, it was Juan Jesus who replaced them. Apologies. You kind of you you would lose. You would lose. You know exactly when he's going to give you the ball. You've played together all season. You do lose that yeah. connection, I suppose, with a more relationist team than a positionist. So I, I think it's it's a fair point to bring up because it is a massive downside. Yeah. And obviously, we spoke with the downsides of of a the style, but there are that is a massive downside to a relationist yeah. team. Yeah, and
1: then, again, it falls – obviously, there were a lot of things that go into Napoli's elimination last night, but mm-hmm. and it's so difficult to speak from the outside. But, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I, it's hard for me to say that that is a glaring weakness because Denise has proved that, and that's something, that was a, probably for me one of the biggest improvements that he's made as a coach was that integrated Fluminense side that wasn't so heavily reliant on 11 players. And then we really saw that when Luis Enrique went to Betis um, in July, I think it was, because then you got Matos Martins, who came into the side, and then he was sold again. So there's a lot of disruptions to this squad, and Denise was able to keep the players playing together. And obviously, each time a player went out, the, the way they changed, the way they played changed a lot because of the mm-hmm. players were. Um, yeah, and so so. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard to say it's a glaring weakness, but in some cases where if that's not really looked at in Napoli, I mean, Denise has like years of experience of getting just just hammered by the media and everything and being sacked of jobs because he wasn't able to do that. Whereas Spalletti, this is the first year where he, with the Napoli side, that that's just glaring approach. And maybe now he's learned of, like a very valuable lesson that's just integrating the squad and then, Yeah.
0: Well, unless I'm forgetting something obvious, I think this will be his first Serie A title win as well, I believe. I don't believe he's won no, the Serie A. But... Is, yeah. I'm almost, I'm 99.9% I'm sure well, this is his first. Me, did, he, did he coach
1: Juventus in the last 10 years? <laughs> yeah, you
0: know, well, that's true as well. But I know before, that's what he coached like AS Roma and things like that. So I, I don't mm-hmm. want to say for sure, but I'm, I'm... I'm pretty sure Roma didn't. I'm pretty sure they won the league under Capello. I want to say, Roma, I could be wrong. Anyway, um, the last kind of before we wrap up in a couple of minutes, I want to talk about kind of moving forward up the pitch. There are, that's where it gets very different between a relationist and positionist side. So with Brighton, for example, or even now with Manchester City, or if you look at uh, Bayern Munich or Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel, they both kind of build up in a 3 2. Um, firstly, mm-hmm. before we talk about kind of differences, why is Julian Nagelsmann was slated quite a lot? And actually, I'm writing the piece on Bayern Munich this Saturday, so I'm, I'm quite uh, well versed on, on, on mm-hmm. that build-up structure for a minute. But Julian Nagelsmann was very heavily criticised for using a three-one structure because when they would lose the ball and turn over possession, Bayern Munich were extremely susceptible to counterattacks, and it was a heavy criticism at the time. Thomas Tuch comes in; he's changed to a three-two bar the obvious, having an extra man. Why is a three-two a really useful structure for build-up? Because Brighton use it, Manchester City use it now, uh, Bar Munich are using it now under Tuchel as well. Uh, 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 Liverpool just used it during you know, night against Leeds United with Trent Alexander and Burton and next to Fabinho. It's it's,
1: it's I-, I hate saying it because it's it's a kind of universal truth. But uh, when you build up with the double, double pivot, um, you support either side very easily um and there's also the angle from the far defensive midfielder on the far side to make that diagonal pass and go out mm. the other way if, if if it is on um it, it just provides more um balance i guess is one way to put it and um whereas a single pivot it's kind of like the, i think a single pivot is better for a more vertical side when you're trying to find mm. the patch. Passes up the pitch so where the single pivot can really manipulate the spaces and the lanes for two to because then you have two central players, uh, further up the pitch to to make those options, but I think the three two provides a bit more balance support on both sides. Um, you have more options, and I think the obvious one is the, the rest defense because when the ball is lost, you have five players there and and does there be when I first started analyzing Shafter and that was when I really started getting into analysis. My, one of the first things I thought was, wow, like it doesn't matter if they lose the ball, does it? Because they have six players in their own box. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, if they can get it literally in their own box, there's still going to be four players there to close it. So, yeah, I think th- there's all those factors that go into it.
0: Well, you look at Manchester City, like they use essentially four central defenders now and John Stones will invert. They've made Ake took it in. Then you have Rodri Stones, Ake, Diaz and a and, and if you want you so when you lose the ball, you have five defenders there already mm-hmm. f- to to help yeah. counter press. So that's obviously why he wants to, to use that. But also with a two instead of a one pivot, you have the option to to use the double pivot as like wall pass, as I kind of touched on a few minutes ago. But you see Brighton do it a lot. So they'll lay it into Caicedo and he'll bounce and then he'll bounce it to his partner, he'll then play that line-breaking ball with with relationism you don't really see that structure whereas you know we kind of talked about there'd be a bit of structure in the build-up phase you don't really see that structure as they move forward up the pitch it's more down to connections and 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 things like that but there are there is still a principle of, of toward man pass and toward man runs which we spoke about before the podcast can you can you talk about that because that's where they kind of become really similar because as i said brighton use toward man passes all the time so lay off Bang, ball through to the forward line. There's your third man pass. Third man runs as well. Um, but with with Dina's aside and that relationist aspect, third man runs are still really important. And to quote Chavi, I believe it was, could be wrong here, but I think it's Chavi. He said the mm-hmm. third man is the most difficult. Well, he said, I'm paraphrasing completely. He like the most difficult uh, yeah, player I mean, to defend, I mean, thing to defend against. Yeah.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. The principles, they're there. They're, and I think, uh, I just sound like, I'm young, but i like an old head because I say third man is a fancy word of saying. Just show behind mm. the line of pressure, and you have that combination out. And it's existed in both both approaches, and it's maybe one. It, it's more programmed, like you said, the wall players and having this three-two. It's easier to program that that those sort of combinations. And in training, I, I imagine it's very common those those uh, practices where you're training those sort of third man runs um but in the knees you still have that and it's it's maybe not as built or emergent from a structure that that's mm-hmm. already organized but the players are still incentivized to if there's a depressing you're, you're, you're making that running behind the front of the line and then to receive that line breaking pass and yeah that's that's a principle that that goes into
0: both although they, they're carried out in different ways and yeah yeah well the kind of the last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up is something I alluded to about two or three minutes ago with the rest defence. So counter-press and rest defence. I said with the, the 3-2 structure, so okay, if Brighton lose, especially even in build, it doesn't matter where it is or, or what kind of structure, but if Brighton lose the ball from playing out from the back, they have an overload. Anyway, they used, like against Chelsea at the weekend, they had a 7 V 6 you lose the ball, you still have an extra man. I'm not saying you will completely defend against it. You can still concede, of course. You can concede with 1v6. It doesn't matter. Um, but in theory, they would still have a solid rest-defense structure. So, okay, you have with City, the 3-2. They lose the ball. They have five defensive players protecting that area of the pitch, the counter-press. The wingers close in, you squeeze the pitch, etc. You wrote a piece, I wanted to say a few weeks ago, but it could be a lot longer than that now, kind of on counter pressing and in relationism. Oh. It was was a few months ago already. God almighty. Um, I know I'm kind of throwing you into the the spotlight here, but, but with that kind of structural style, the positionist style, you're, you know, you have in mind turnover of possession. So you're thinking about if you lose the ball, players are here. So, you know, you can contain them in one area of the pitch. Whereas with relationism, is that, is that thought process, in yeah. the mind of the players, or like because we know it's quite off the cuff and it's quite intuitive of the players, but it, it sometimes up... you might you might lose yourself a little bit and maybe make a run where you have no cover at the back, something like that. So, what, what does kind of what does rest defense, if you want to call although I don't really like trying rest defense in with a kind of relationist team uh, that extreme, anyway, especially with Denise? What does counter person and rest defense look like in a Denise side?
1: Yeah, it's obviously I had a piece, and um, there's not been many. Uh, there's not been any research into that sort of yeah. area of relationism. Um, I read an article and I, I forgot who wrote it. Um, it was talking about Brenna Bay. He's a Celtic left back from Argentina. And it essentially talked about the relationism. He's a relationist player, obviously, growing up in Argentina and going to the academy. And why many Celtic fans and people say he is naive, he leaves space behind, and he's mm-hmm. not very aware of, of position, and he's a very dangerous left back because he just leaves this behind. And it's a great article that broke it down into the movements he can make. It's a one-two, and then he just goes as a left back, whereas the city left backs, you see them make that pass, and they just stay to, to kind of guarantee that rest defense. Um, So it's it's an area that you really – there, there's not much to look at, and it. it's definitely interesting. My article essentially provided a couple of – Examples. Um, obviously, the first one is that when you have such a high amount of players in in a given area, it um and that it's, uh, the first couple waves of pressure will be natural and already there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that Brazilian Brazilian teams do, especially, it's invert the opposite fullback into the midfield as kind of like a protection because obviously in rest defense the most it, it kind of builds on the concept of the most vulnerable areas the midfield mm-hmm. the first. Three central lanes, so you kind of want to protect those as much as you can.
0: Um, Jesse Maris does that quite well with those teams too. Usually, the opposite fullback will tuck inside, and you don't really have width. I understand it's not the same, but you the fullback tucking in is the same. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, but yeah. So it's just it's it's the article I did was really challenging because I had a there's no nothing really to reference, Mm -hmm. but it's just yeah. The main thing is there's a lot of people in one area. If the ball is lost in that area, you're naturally more um you're it's easier to press because you have so many players in the area and another thing is with the support it's not only support going forward if that makes sense so a lot of players it doesn't have to be the defensive affiliate, but they're going to provide that support from behind mm-hmm. and in a lot of cases you have the player in behind obviously yeah. when you go to the lines of the waves of pressure the lines of pressure you may have that initial but sometimes you may not have many people in behind just one or two, so that, that's another thing, but it's it's one that there's not been many research, much research research on.
0: Well, I remember talking to you just before you wrote the piece, and I actually said to you, I'm really interested to read it because in my mind, the way a relationist team plays, it it kind of facilitates that anyway, because you see, and yeah. again, I don't like using positional play terms when I analyze a a, a team like Denise's, but they would overload in quotation mark kind of one side of the field that would have it really congested on one side. You lose the ball, there just it naturally would give weight to that.
1: Yeah, rest you know, uh,
0: compress kind of counter pretty. Yeah, it naturally gives weight to that because you have so many bodies there. I mean, you lose the ball, they're not all going to just dart back to the wrong goal. Why would you? They're already there; they can already contain the the transition.
1: And and and, and Denise, thats something that he's clearly improved. Is that? And now that's in Sao Paulo and Atletico, say, the first couple of years of his career, it's that was a lot of criticism backlash he got was because it was almost like not thinking of that whatsoever. And it's probably an interesting piece to look at is comparing those earlier sides to now and looking at when they lose the ball, what do they do differently? Because they have certainly been more safe to, to defensive transitions mm-hmm. with Fluminense. So it's I'm interested, I just gave myself a good idea, but it's interesting to see <laughs> the this- last years. Well, he's done it definitely over the years to kind of improve that
0: rest of you just You just pitched for oh. next magazine already. <laughs> uh, Kyle, we'll wrap up the podcast there. I actually think this was a really interesting chat looking at the two very extremes of po- not pos- possession football, I want to call it, but just you know the differences between pos- very positionist and relations teams using the extremes of those styles. So, I think it was really inter- interesting chat. Where can people find you and also? I know the I know what you're going to say is the answer, but I, what I want to ask you is how do you? Is your is your Twitter username a is it a football manager reference or is it yeah? No, it's. I was like Volante is it? Is that you're yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: it's a it's just it's. What does it mean? It's a football manager reference because it's as for most people know it from, but in Brazil that's just what we call the the second man in the midfield. So you have the, the primeiro volante, which is the first defensive midfielder, and you have the second one which is, tends to be that that more box of walk before that ever existed
0: but oh i understand okay that makes sense because it actually annoys me when people say about Trecartista in Italy which is like the number 10 just, yeah, in English no. does. yeah
1: I the webinar from, from um, yeah he just kept going Trek and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, I was like
0: oh yeah. it's just a yeah. 10 it's just a 10 but like people like to be like oh he's a Trek yeah. I'm like no he's a number 10 <laughs> Brahim Diaz is a number 10 he's not a yeah. and I can't swear on this podcast but I hate those people but anyway Kyle thank you so much for coming on where can people find you then yeah just on Twitter uh, O Segundo Volante um, yeah that's mainly where I'm at or as I always say, you can also find him on LinkedIn, but he may not accept a request. And that's his prerogative. <laughs> that's his prerogative. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. To all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed as well. And make sure to tune in on Tuesday for another regular episode of the TFA Scouted Podcast for you all to hopefully enjoy. Also, make sure to rate the podcast too and share it with your followers, friends, and family as it really helps us to grow. Thank you all for listening. And goodbye for now.